artificial intelligence and marketing certainly is a top topic. Let's dive in and learn about AI in email marketing and email newsletters. I'm Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Join me for this episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Christoph Trapp. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Amith Nagarajan. He is the executive chairman at Raza.io. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And an interesting topic on deck today, artificial intelligence. We've talked about that topic before. I'm seeing other episodes on the horizon as well. Uh, of course, there is a conference coming up. I'm attending it in Cleveland. Uh, but specifically today, we will talk about AI in newsletters. Fantastic topic, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so first of all, what's, what's the definition of an AI newsletter? Well, uh, we utilize AI in two primary areas at Rasta.io. The first one is in the automation process of creating the newsletter. And the second part has to do with personalizing the content for every individual reader. So th there's two primary problems we see in the world of newsletters today, and we're using AI to solve both problems. The first problem is that people have too much going on to consistently create a great newsletter. So we've created automation and using a lot of AI to eliminate most of that work, in some cases, all the work. And the second part of the problem is that readers often are not very engaged with many newsletters because the content isn't compelling for them. So our AI personalizes uh, the content within the newsletter for every single reader. So two very different uh, topics, two different roads. We, let's take the fork, right? You get to a fork, let's take it in the road. Um, first of all, creating content, right? So that's always an interesting topic. Certainly, I mean, we have to create some content to, to, to stand out. Uh, but how does that look? So, if, you know, if I'm using my newsletter, um, how do I have to create less content? Or, or where, where does the content come from? How does it work? Like, walk me through the, the model. Sure. So we utilize a concept that we refer to as a content pool. And the content mm -hmm. pool essentially is... Think of it as a place where content accumulates. And the general idea is that whether the content is exclusively original content or is curated content or a mixture of the two, content starts coming into this pool. Now, most people do not have enough time to write enough content for their own newsletter, much less to write enough content to then personalize a newsletter for each reader. So most people who use our platform take advantage of the auto curation features, where essentially what you're doing is you're telling the platform, these are the topics and these are the types of content sources that we believe are relevant to our brand. And then the AI will go out and capture content from a variety of different sources that you deem as, you know, you're essentially whitelisting the source. You're saying this source is credible and high quality, et cetera. And then over a period of time, the AI keeps learning what you approve and what you decline. So the basic process as the editor of the newsletter is that you're giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down to each piece of content that the AI is grabbing. And it's learning over a period of time what you like and what you don't like as the editor of the newsletter. That process essentially trains the, the algorithms that we have to understand your unique you know, combination of content you that you're looking for for the newsletter as a whole. 
So at a high level, that's the way the process works. What we find is that initially our customers spend a bit of time setting up the sources because that's that's really important, setting up things like filters. Um, and, and then over a period of time, as the AI learns, they spend less and less and less time in the platform in the editorial process. And so when this makes sense, you have a content pool that you pull from, but, but if you don't have time content what is, is this like so if i'm in content marketing i say please pull content from the content marketing institute and michael brenner and uh, maybe christoph trav we don't like him quite yet um and like five <laughs> others right i mean is that sure. kind of how it looks or, or where's the content what how do how do you come up with a content pool yes you described it uh very well so the idea would be you would have a number of sources so each of the each of the individuals or brands that you mentioned would be a content source and the Rasa platform would look to those sources. In some cases, you might uh, you might take an entire source. So if you take the Content Marketing Institute, perhaps all of their content is on brand for a content marketing newsletter. Uh, but let's say, for example, there was content coming from the American Marketing Association as another source, but you don't want everything from the American Marketing Association. So you can create rules essentially that act as filtration uh, mechanisms. So that way you only get portions of content from a given site. Uh, but all of this serves to fill the content pool. And for each issue of the newsletter, um, as, the, as the newsletter editor, essentially you're looking at a list of candidate articles. So there might be 50 articles, there might be 200, there might be 10. It depends on how many sources you have set up and then how many articles each of those sources has published during the, since the last newsletter you published. So in that process, you then go through and you say, I, I want to include this one. I don't want to include this other one. And over time, what we see is that people spend very little time actually doing that review process after they've sent two or three issues out. Because they start trusting the machine. Exactly. Yeah, initially people are, <laughs> I wouldn't say skeptical, people are just a little bit nervous, frankly, to let a machine select content that's going to be sent out to their audience, which is totally natural. And after even a, a couple of issues, a lot of times people are comfortable enough where they take their hands off completely. Um, so it's, 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 it, it turns out that people can send a great newsletter with a pretty limited amount of time using this. And how do you, what's like the mechanism an eye on? So if, if let's say you have um, 20 clients or whatever in, in the HVAC um, vertical, right? And they all use um, the sources that create content around um, HVAC. And, um, and they all send newsletters. And it's a relatively small audience, right? I mean, there's going to be some crossover, I would think. How do you ensure, or maybe it's not a problem, you tell me, I'm just asking the questions, is uh, what if their newsletters look too similar? What if everybody ends up with the same stories? I mean, is this a potential case of everybody using the stock art image of the smiling blonde woman on their homepage? Sure. I mean, it's definitely a valid concern. And especially if you have an area like that and there's, you know, geographically close, you know, businesses that are sending newsletters, it's a possibility. We generally haven't seen that happen too much because the question is, what's the overlap <laughs> in the audience from one newsletter to the next? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, with small businesses, they're not having they don't have a high low overlap. You know, if you have if you have larger organizations with larger audiences, it's more likely to happen. Um, now, we capture statistics and intelligence across all of the newsletters that an individual participates in. So if I receive five different newsletters and let's say uh, two of them are on HVAC as a topic, 
um, the system will know what it's sending me through each newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's also possible that you can, can, you can control that essentially to uh, reduce the redundancy that way. But ultimately, I'll, I'll answer it more succinctly. We haven't run into this as a, as a significant problem. You know, the other thing I just thought about is, um, I mean, it's really no different from, I mean, everybody I talk to and, and myself, you know, we used to create once publish everywhere model, right? So what me, what that means is you, you publish content and you repeat it, right? So what I'm, we're talking about this topic, we'll do a blog post on the topic. Um, you know, you probably already have a blog post on the topic. Um, there's tweets about the topic. At the end of the day, even if there is some crossover, doesn't mean people saw the first headline anyways, right? Because that's because they're so busy. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Definitely. And, and you know, I think that um, it serves to, to reinforce the message at times. And because the newsletters are coming from different brands, the reader perceives them as totally separate things, which, which of course they are. You know, they're, they're separate newsletters for each brand. They're, <clears throat> each brand puts in their own style, their own uh, branding, colors, logo, uh, multiple templates are out there so they can choose different looks looks of the newsletter. So it's, it's pretty unlikely that people would identify them and say, hey, I've gotten the same thing from multiple brands. We just we haven't run into that yet. So uh, obviously in the new content performance culture book, we do have a chapter that actually quotes Jared uh, Loftus, right? He's, I don't know, what's his title with your company? Uh, Jared is our chief operating officer. Chief operating officer. Um, and I heard him speak at the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Conference and he was talking about um, how it's okay to use content from other sources or not use it, but link to it, right? I mean, you can't just grab it, or you, right? You can't just grab it and use all of it. You, you're linking to it, correct? That is right, yes. You're linking to it. So that's in the book. If you like the book, if, then, if you're in the U.S., paypal.me forward slash ctrab forward slash one zero. That's half off. Everything is included, and I even sign it for you. Um, but going off of that, how many people... I mean, I can just see content people when you come in and say, well, you should, uh, here's an idea for you, that they say, oh, we don't want to link to other people. I mean, is that a concern still or are, are more and more people changing their mindset on that? Uh, you bet. It's, it absolutely is a common concern coming in. And, you know, folks are saying, hey, look, we're doing all this work to build our email list and we want to send a newsletter out. But why would we send people to other websites? Why would we not feed the top of our own funnel? And, and that's a great question because, you know, so much of content marketing has been around whether it's direct or social or SEO, just getting people to your site and getting, you know, repeat visitors and all that. So the question is, why would I send you to a different property? And the short version of the answer is that's because that's what the readers want. The readers want a diversity of content. And what we're finding is that the performance of newsletters that include a mixture of owned content and curated content perform by far the best. So statistically, what we see is, you know, when, when, an, when owned content is supplemented by curated content, you get much higher open rates, far greater click rates. And in fact, when we compare similar newsletters to each other, um, the number of clicks that you get in the newsletters that include curated content um, are so much larger that you actually end up with more traffic to your own site in addition to the additional traffic that's going out to other organizations. So it's, it is a win-win in that sense because um, the reader ultimately is being served as the first priority. And then you do end up getting, you know, not, not only the soft benefit of more credibility as that kind of, uh, you know, objective 
uh, provider of content from not multiple sources, but you get more traffic too. That's what we've seen in the data. Well, and I mean, how important is traffic anyways, right? I mean, I, I think about my current goals and I know it's so um, tempting, right? To have 800 calls to action and get people to, to click on things. But, but, but right now, like on my site, I mean, my only call to action really is to go buy my book, right? Like I, I took all ads off, all other calls to action are kind of um, downplayed. Um, and plus, you already know the people on your list, right? You're not trying to convert them to a known audience. So um, it's not like you have to push them to your website. That's true. And in addition to that, as you, there is a benefit that accrues to you if you send them off to other sites, which is you under, you have, you're able to capture the additional behavioral data of the click from that email newsletter to that other site. And the way our AI works on the other side of the coin, where we personalize the content for each reader, is uh, it utilizes the behavioral insights that come over a period of time. So put another way, we basically monitor the opens and clicks that we get within the newsletter. And then we build a pattern of insight about that reader over time. And then we use that to select content for that individual reader on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So the AI is powered by that additional engagement data, so to speak. Um, and it also benefits the brand ultimately because the better the AI is selecting the content and selecting subject lines for each reader, um, the more engagement you have. And we have a very clear uh, correlation between uh, the long-term pattern of higher engagement with you know continual, it's essentially a, it's a, it's a, uh, a virtuous cycle because uh, the process of engagement creates more engagement since we're able to serve the reader better. Is there ever any concern? Um, I, I know some of the experts out there, they're pretty good at converting people, right? I mean, they have the right calls to action um, at the right time. So when you send somebody off and it's in your industry, is there any concern that you might lose a customer or, you know, they might hire them for something? Or how do you pick your, your content sources? You know, that's always a, a concern. People always are concerned about not including their competitors' blogs and, and things of that nature, which, you know, once again, I think it's an entirely normal and rational thought process. Um, you know, and I think there's there's plenty of content that's out there in most fields that is relevant, but not from a directly competitive entity that you can include a lot of different stuff without having that direct concern. But here's here's the main comment I would share on that is, I think the concern is is overblown in a lot of ways because, you know, most people sell things that their customers do not buy on a high frequency basis. That, that's obviously not true in all businesses. Some people are in the volume game and they're selling stuff to their repeat customers every week or even every day. But most businesses are in the business of selling something that has a far lower frequency than that. So the period of time in between purchase intent that tends to be months in, in many cases or at least many weeks. And so the question is, what do you talk to the customer about? in that intermission, in between when they have buying intent, which is the, the majority of the time or the vast majority of the time, especially the larger the price is, right? The, the higher the price of the services or the product is, often that means less frequently the customer's buying it. So when you do a newsletter really, really well and you're showing the customer that you have lots of value to give and it's not just your own stuff, um, it's viewed as something they want to read as an information source rather than saying, hey, you know, I, I like this guy, I like this brand, I really want to read it that often. Once a month is fine. So it, what it allows you to do is to increase your frequency of touch, um, which is incredibly powerful for a lot of reasons. But um, that's what we find to be the case is the frequency where your brand is in front of that reader in a, in a happy way uh, is so much higher that uh, that concern tends to be uh, 
much, much lower over time as people see the value of, of the readers getting this content. Yeah, very, very interesting. And so then, of course, when you personalize it for the reader, um, like you, you serve the stories in different orders, those kind of things, right? Based on what, uh, what their need is, I guess, or what, what you know about them. That's correct. So, you know, that, that first category of AI was the automation to create the newsletter, to curate the content, to format it, which, which is a pain. You know, most, 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 most businesses, even larger businesses, but most certainly small businesses, they just don't have the resources to produce a great newsletter on a frequent basis. So it usually is something that either doesn't get done or it gets delegated to the lowest level person in the organization. It's just, it's just not a priority. We've seen this, this story played out many times. And so it becomes an ineffective tool. And so the first part of the AI is to solve that problem, is to create automation so that you can send a better newsletter or send a newsletter at all with no work or very little work. So the second part of the AI was targeting the reader. It's to say, look, we don't want to just send a good newsletter that's you know well done, but the same for everybody. We want to send a different newsletter that is literally one-to-one for every single recipient. And so it includes what you described, which is the article ordering, where we'll put articles that the AI perceives as more important to each of us, higher or lower in our newsletter. But it also goes to the idea of selection. So um, let's say, for example, going back to the content pool idea earlier, perhaps there are 30 articles in my content pool, and they're all using the topic you described earlier on content marketing. There's 30 different candidate, candidate articles all about content marketing that have been loaded up into my content pool from, from all these great sources, right, including my own. Now, when we actually send a newsletter out, if we send out 30 pieces of content, we're probably going to overwhelm the user, and, and that's pretty ineffective. What we tend to find is that between four and eight pieces of content is the, is the right formula, and, and there's obviously variations to that in every, in every field, but uh, we find between four and eight content elements per newsletter tends to perform best in terms of long-term readership. So the question is, which four to eight articles get sent out, out of the 30 that are candidates in the content pool? And that's where the AI comes in. The AI says, hey, um, Amif should get these four, uh, Jared should get these four, and Christoph should get a different four, right? So that's the idea is it selects the right content for each reader, it orders the content, and it also selects a unique subject line for every reader to maximize their opens. So um, I... You know, I mean, not that long ago, I've talked to companies and worked with companies where it's a really manual process. So even if they have content themselves, so let's say they're not on board yet to use other people's content. And so they literally go through what's been published and then they literally put that themselves into the system. Right. They maybe write a new headline, maybe um, do something like that or, or, or new teaser text. And it takes forever. I mean, hours, right, um, if yep. they do that. Um, so w w what, what do we say to the people who say, well, that's currently my job. I mean, is, uh, here's another machine coming to take my job, I guess. Um, what's, I, I do have a response to them. What's yours? Well, my response would be your time could be better spent. Rather than doing the manual work, what you can do is optimize the newsletter by studying the analytics that our tool generates based upon the readership's interactions with content, optimizing that content. Because you, you, as, as a user, you can uh, add to what the AI knows. So you can target specific articles or pieces that are considered featured or lead content elements so that they're, they're essentially forced for all users. Uh, you can, of course, create your own summaries. 
So curation isn't just picking the articles, but sometimes it's writing little briefs on the articles, um, coming up with your own elements of content that are unique, that might be a synthesis of what's being included across the board, trending topics, things like that. So rather than focusing the energy, you know, the average newsletter takes four hours of labor to put together. And that's actually, in my opinion, it's a pretty low number. That's what we've polled people and, and heard feedback on. Uh, but it's, it's a significant amount of work. And most of that work is this drudgery. So rather than focusing on that, you know, we say, look, let the machine do that part, the boring part. You focus your attention towards optimizing the newsletter, building unique pieces of content that drive value in SEO and in social and other channels. Uh, and let the machine do the boring part, basically. And also let the machine do what only a machine can do, which is an AI scale problem, which is to personalize the thing for every reader. But four hours is unbelievable. I mean, if you have, that was that was going to be my response, by the way, so I don't have to repeat that to those people. You can focus your time on something else. Um, as you know, I was going to say that as well. Uh, but four hours, if you have a newsletter five times a week or three times, or let's say twice a week, that's one out of five work days you're spending on newsletters. And by the way, I think most time estimates are usually too low. <laughs> right. So just a, as a general comment, um, very, very interesting. So we have different models. Create it yourself, spend the time, or you can realign that time to do something else. Um, the, the method I use for the most part, it's also in the book. Uh, I just have the newsletter on the WordPress side, right? So every time I publish something, it sends out a newsletter. I know some people would argue with me that's not a true newsletter, but has newsletter subscribers. So it's a newsletter, in my opinion. And then we have the AI version. Very interesting. Uh, what's the what's the next evolution of AI and newsletters? What's uh, what's going next? What's you know, sky's the limit, I guess. Yeah, you know, it really is. And and what we're excited about is we picked an area, you know, per personalization. It's an area of marketing technology right now that everybody's excited about. The challenge with personalization is is twofold for most companies. The first one is uh, it tends to be pretty complicated to implement. And so most organizations don't have the budget or the energy to do it. They like the idea, but they're, they're not pursuing it wholeheartedly because they've got plenty of other priorities. The other problem with personalization is most approaches to it require a fairly extensive amount of data about the customer or the reader that the organization doesn't have. And so um, we've solved that by looking at each new reader as essentially a blank slate, and we only personalize over time as we gain behavioral interactions. It's possible to ingest uh, into the AI whatever CRM data or other information you have, but most people's CRM data is pretty stale. So these are two problems of personalization that people have faced as, as a general opportunity, right? As personalization has been difficult because of that. It's also been expensive. There's, there's a number of challenges with personalization that have limited it. Um, what we found is we said, look, rather than trying to create a generic personalization tech, let's focus on one specific super narrow application, which is why we came up with newsletters, because it's something that very few people do really well. Um, it's an idea that almost every company has thought of at one point or another. It said, hey, let's do a newsletter, whether in the old-fashioned way of print or an email. It's not a new concept. It's a time-tested and workable model. But most people don't have the time to do it, uh, certainly to do it well and to do it on a high frequency, a high enough frequency to make a difference. So I, I give you that background simply to say that newsletters were our first stop. Um, and we think there's a lot of upside with newsletters in terms of further AI optimization with the personalization side, uh, also to further automate. So there's a lot of exciting things we're doing there. 
for us specifically, we're also taking steps down the road where we can say, look, you know, we'll extend our suite of capabilities beyond newsletters into other areas of personalization tech. Uh, but we're focused exclusively on newsletters right now because it's a massive area, lots and lots of growth for us, and we can have a big impact with our customers. So I think I know the answer to the next question, and I will ask anyways. And so far, everybody has given the same answer when it has come up on here. Uh, Gardner, I, I'm pretty sure this was reported by Mike Stiles over on the Content Marketing Quickie podcast first. I think that's why I heard it. Um, but Gardner reported or, or predicted or whatever that personalization will, will go by the wayside. And they claim it's because the return on investment isn't there. It's too much work or something like that, or it costs too much. So, do you, I mean, you, it sounds like you, you disagree with that assessment. Well, I agree with their rationale. Because it does cost too much and it's ineffective in its, in its most commonly implemented forms. Because, again, the data that people – personalization doesn't do anything unless you have a, a, a massive amount of data and a significant uh, set of fresh data constantly streaming in. So unless you're Amazon or someone of that scale, you typically don't have that many touch points with your customer. And so the customer touch points you might have might be – you might have 20 data points on a customer spanning the last two years. The problem is, is that a lot of that data is no longer really predictive of their future interests because it's, it's stale. It's essentially uh, past tense data that goes stale really, really quickly. So you need to have some way of getting access to current uh, and rich information on your customers or readers, um, which most people don't have. And so to try to get that is a, a complex, sometimes it's not even bound by cost, but oftentimes it is. Uh, and then, it, you know, it's the, the technology trying to implement it in a more uh, what I would consider, a, you know, a more aggressive application, like putting it in your website, for example, or in an app. Those are much bigger IT projects, whereas what we do doesn't require any IT resources at all. And you can turn it on in a matter of hours. So I think that they're absolutely right that the cost and the lack of return, because the technology, again, it's ineffective if the data isn't good, um, will kill a lot of the personalization efforts that are out there. But I do think that personalization approaches like ours that are highly specialized. So we're doing newsletters, you know, other people might do it in other specialized contexts and um, personalization that's behavioral driven rather than uh, legacy data driven will find significant uh, success. I mean, we're seeing it with our own customers, our own growth. Uh, a lot of it's, frankly, a lot of it's fueled just by PEC that people don't want to do the work. So that's why people buy our product. The first reason is they want the automation. The second reason is the personalization. Uh, but ultimately, we're seeing a ton of success long term because once the personalization kicks in, their readers tell the company, hey, we really like this thing. So um, bottom line, in my mind, to answer your question is if personalization technology becomes more affordable, and if the return on investment improves, then absolutely it'll be successful. So I completely agree with Gartner that the current tech that's out there is likely to not be of uh, great consequence long term. But there will be new new technologies coming, like what we're doing. So um, and that's always true, correct? <laughs> that that there will always be new things. Um, off whatever it is, and, and Scott Brinker's Martech uh, landscape. I mean, thousands and thousands of companies. How many of those are focusing on AI? Do you know? Well, this is the challenge with AI, and I think at the conference you mentioned, the Marketing um, Artificial, Artificial Intelligence Conference last summer, there was a conversation around what is AI and what's not. 
And you know, there, there are a lot of people in the MarTech world that are talking AI, but might have either no feature or some kind of trivial feature that's AI powered. So it's hard to tell is the short answer. I, I would be willing to bet that at least half of the MarTech vendors are talking AI right now. Um, the number that are truly AI driven, uh, who knows? You know, that's, it's probably a significantly smaller percentage. <laughs> So, yeah, it is, it is another case of, um, uh, you know, the definition. I know virtual reality, mixed reality, um, augmented reality video, um, all those different types. Um, no, a lot of people don't even agree on the definitions. Um, at the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Conference, I don't know if you, you will be there. I will be there again this summer. Um, I think it's like in July in Cleveland. Um, and, and one of the sessions was, is this AI? Is this AI? It was kind of... Uh, uh, an attention getter, right? Because um, so many people don't know what necessarily is involved. Great overview. Great overview. Uh, give us the website. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Sure. Thank you. It's rasa.io. So it's just www.rasa.io. Amit um, Nagarajan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the overview. AI and newsletters, and if you know if we can cut four hours a week of work, why wouldn't we do it and use it for something more productive? Uh, thanks for the overview, and thanks everyone for listening.